What's up, everyone? Welcome to the year-end edition of Yanks Go Talking. This is going to be a show where we're going to talk about all of the, the latest transfer news coming into the January window, and we're going to do paper plate awards, some of our 2021 superlatives. So guys, just before we get started, I'm your host, Jake, back in London from a trip into the US. It got dicey there for a while. We avoided the vid as best we could, Woo. and we got back home. Tom, Ryan, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty good, man. Uh, you know, uh, to, uh, belated to both of you guys, Froche uh, Weihnacht. A little belated Merry Christmas to you guys. Uh, it was pretty cool. I got to I got invited over to my neighbor's house the day after Christmas, um, and they invited me over for a meal called Rocklet. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's kind of a cool social way to like sit down and eat. There's a burner with like little trays underneath, and a whole bunch of different like raw meats on the tables and cheeses and vegetables, and you can kind of like grill and make your own little like pots too though that you can stick underneath and like melt the cheese and then grill all your meats on top but every like there's a big one for the whole table so you can have like eight to ten people all using this thing sitting around eating and since it takes like 10 minutes ish or so for each one each little pan to cook like it's a your dinner takes like three hours but you're just like socializing and drinking and even like kind of playing games in between so it's, it's a really cool way to to enjoy a meal with friends so just if you guys haven't ever heard of it or want to look up a cool way to have dinner with friends or a little social hour, look up Rocklet. It's like R-A-C-L-E-T-T-E. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool good time. So I was got to have that as a first German experience. I was pretty stoked about it. That sounds like a really good time, actually. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Jealous. That's been pretty quiet around here. Um, we went down to see my grandparents a little bit over the last few days. So it was nice to see them. I don't really get a chance to go down and see them very often. Uh, beyond that, it's just been, you know, very quiet, nice time at home, enjoying the holidays, trying to avoid getting sick. I think I'm the only one in my family who's not sick right now. So <laughs> trying desperately to not get that sick. Um, but thankfully, I'm home for a while. So it's just a nice time to chill and get some catch up on some work. You've got the tea in hand, so hopefully that helps, Tom. Oh, yeah. Are, are, are Americans even allowed in Germany right now? I believe so. Um, everything's 2G, 2G plus, though, I believe. So you either have to be boosted or have a negative test to enter. I know for sure, like to go to any restaurant or anything right now, everything's 2G plus. So luckily, we I've gotten my booster at this point. Uh, my wife has as well. So like we we're kind of living life as was before they kind of updated all the regulations. It hasn't really changed for us. Uh, it's been difficult for some people because if they it's really hard to get an appointment right now. Like since I work for Medcom, I was able to kind of sneak in and get one pretty quickly and then get my wife in too. But uh, even like a doc I work with right now, his appointment and he set it up like two weeks ago is on January 7th for him to get his booster. And he's a provider. It's crazy. Mine is set for January 8th. So waiting for the day, guys. You guys got to catch up. I got mine on November 5th. (laughs) Yeah. Mine wasn't November 5th. You definitely beat me, but uh yeah, no, I've gotten my third one, but I didn't feel bad at all. My wife and I felt fine afterwards. Oh, I was destroyed for a day. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was After out the for the second a- one, I was bad, but third one, no problem. It was out for 24 hours. <laughs> Zonked. All right. Speaking of zonking and how we are going <laughs> to feel about this potential transfer, let's talk about these transfer trackers. We have three potential players that we want to talk about in this episode the first of which is a 
somewhat confirmation from the Transfer Market website, Ricardo Pepe to Wolfsburg. I do want to call out before we even talk about how we feel about this. Ryan and his sources did say there was a verbal agreement for Ricardo Pepe to Wolfsburg about four months ago on the podcast. So, guys, if you want a better source, someone that's coming to you early and often, make sure to follow this podcast, like and subscribe, because we we did talk about Pepe having that verbal agreement a few months ago before it was confirmed. But guys, let's talk about what this actually means for Pepe and the U.S. men's national team. Ryan, let's start with you. How would you feel about Pepe going to Wolfsburg and Kofeld coaching him? So uh, before even Kofeld coaching him, I think what's interesting is how you're talking about this was kind of agreed to a long time ago. Um, there, you know, they've still been in talks with other clubs to see if better situations were available or if more money was available. But realistically, this was kind of plan A from the beginning. And that had been confirmed a while back. So back then, that Wolfsburg was still looking pretty good. They weren't bombing down the table uh, versus what that looks like now. He's kind of walking into a completely different Wolfsburg team that's in real bad shape right now. Um, they haven't won a game since October. So, I mean, if that doesn't tell you enough about it, Kofeld's been Kofeld. Like, I, it hasn't been anything alarming. Um, but like we said, we, we knew he'd, he'd kind of end up there. Fabs did tweet out today saying that the two sides haven't officially agreed on a final fee, but I mean, it's as close to done as possible, I think. Uh, but I think he's really running into a tough situation, like Wolfsburg, A, going down the table, coach not really offensive-minded. And if you just look at who they have at center forwards, uh, you know, they still have Veghorst, um, who has six goals, one assist, and 15 matches so far this year. His contract's good through June of 2023, so he's going to be there for a while. Um, and then I'm probably going to butcher this, but Lucas it's N-M-E-C-H-A, Nemka, Nemka, I don't know. Anywho, uh, another center forward, 23 years old, six goals, 15 matches, and his contract's through June of 2025. So young center forward that's already there for a while. Then tack on top, they've got a 19-year-old Frenchman in, in their uh, development system. Then there's Gianluca Waldschmidt who also has one goal, nine appearances, only 25 years old. So, like, they're pretty stacked at center forward right now. Um, so, and all these guys are under contract for a long time. Uh, so, right now, it's it really looks like it's not the most ideal move for him. I am happy to see him going to the Bundesliga rather than going to a club like Real Madrid or even potentially ending up at, like, Bayern in the Bundesliga. I want to see him go to a, a place where he can hopefully get some minutes and continue to develop. Uh, but as of right now, they're, Wolfsburg's in 13th place. They're Like I said, they haven't won a game since October 30th, and they've got Kofeld. I, I just don't understand how you can feel good about this situation. Get, I get it that he's going to be a bigger transfer to Wolfsburg than we've ever had, but it's it's kind of a dumpster fire there right now. I don't know. Like, Is it an ideal situation for either of you guys? How are you feeling? I'm not super optimistic about this one. I just as the sort of American fan who's followed several transfers to Wolfsburg before, none of them have worked out beyond John Brooks, who came from, you know, established teams within the Bundesliga, was already an established Bundesliga starter. Yeah, pretty much every, yeah, pretty much every other development prospect we've sent there has never seen a single professional minute with Wolfsburg. So hopefully Pepe can break the trend of being sort of a young prospect going to Wolfsburg, especially given the price tag on him. But the development record of Wolfsburg and young Americans is not necessarily stellar. And you add on to that 
the striker who turned or the coach who turned Josh Sargent into the amazing striker that he is. And things get even a little, even more dicey for me. I'm, you know, I, I feel like Wolfsburg will be fine. Eventually they'll settle down the club situation. They'll eventually start winning matches again, but Kofelt really worries me. And until he's fired, I'm not going to be very comfortable with this transfer. I will push back a little bit on that, Tom, because the other kind of prospects that we're talking about are players that were there in their academy that they didn't pay $10 million for. So to me, like that's a signal that they care about this player. They're willing to invest in their development. And we assume that based on that price tag, they're going to get playing time. Do you guys not mm. see it that way? Are there just no. too many forwards ahead of him? No, I think he'll definitely get oppor- he'll get some opportunities. Um, but I mean, he's he's going up against some really seasoned competition and he's still a young kid some of these guys are like you know veghorst i could see veghorst potentially getting a transfer within the next year so if they are trying to kind of have some foresight knowing that they're going to want to kind of move on from him with his contract expiring in 2023 i could see that i don't think it'll be a situation to where we see him if he moves in the winter I'd be shocked to see him get over, I don't know, what would you guys say, 400 minutes? I think 400 minutes would be pretty generous. They're also out of the Champions League and Europa League. They, I think they finished last in their Champions League group. So they don't have additional competitions other than the Pokal if they're still involved in that as well. So 400 minutes, I would probably say the the over on that, but not mm-hmm. by Taking much. the over? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If they can stay safe from relegation, then yeah, take the over. If they're in a relegation battle as we get to the end of the year, then Pepe's going to struggle to find minutes probably, especially given he's going to have to take some time to adjust. We know he's not match fit right now, so he's going to have to you know get back up to speed. So it's it's going to be a you know it's going to be a rough development to sort of get him into the position he wants. I think we're going to see more from him in the fall, giving him a full off season, giving him a full preseason with the club. There won't be us matches to play, pulling him away from that preseason. So there's a better chance to impress his coaches and, you know, become a regular rotation striker after a summer. So what's the, what's the upside to this? And I'm wondering in Pepe's mind, when they had the agreement over the summer, there, the team looked a lot different to your, uh, perspective, Ryan, what you were talking about with where the team was in the Champions League, in the table with a different coach. Why Why is Ricardo Pepe continuing to go in this direction? What's the upside for him? That's a good question. Um, I think there could have been, like I said, like I kind of referred to a bit earlier, I wouldn't be shocked even potentially this summer to see them move on from Veghorst. Um, so if maybe they've already kind of talked to him a little bit about that, cause that, that changes the ball game significantly. Um, cause I mean, he's, he is their lockdown number nine and I don't, and when I watch the two of like him compared to Pepe play, that course is obviously clearly a, a couple levels above right now, but he's also, you know, has a lot more experience, got a little bit of a bigger body. His work rate is great. So he's, he's your classic number nine target striker. Uh, and I think versus, you know, Pepe's got a little bit of mix into it. So if there's some sort of conversations about that, that, you know, there could be more opportunity for him that we just don't foresee yet. Um, Hopefully that tends to be the case. Um, But it could have been another thing that just not the, not the other offers were out there that he was expecting. 
You know, I think sometimes when you're a big fish in a, in a small pond that you can think that, all right, you know, when I move on to the next level, obviously I'm, I'm going to get a lot of attention, but all of a sudden you move to that next pond and you know, you're back to being a minnow. So it's, it could be that they had the agreements and it's a team that's in a top five league, they're paying good money. And it looks like, you know, it's hard enough to get out of the MLS. So when you have a club that's willing to pay a transfer fee like this, then you kind of got to jump on it and get your way, get your way overseas. Yeah. I, I guess one last question, because a lot of people that aren't liking this move or potentially want him to stay in MLS are thinking about the World Cup next winter and what that can do for Pepe to continue with FC Dallas, have another you know 15 goal season in MLS and be in form going into the World Cup. Does this now put our forward depth in danger with Ricardo Pepe going to Wolfsburg? We talked a few episodes ago about how fragile that depth chart is with Josh Sargent, P. Falk, Pepe as kind of the top three Zardas after. Like, what does Pepe going to Wolfsburg do to our depth chart at the number nine? As Tom casually leans back to show his shirt. Don't leave him out. Tom, you take this one. Yeah, I, I think... Ricardo Pepe will get his chances. He'll get his minutes. We'll see if he does enough with it during the World Cup call-up. If we don't have him, if there are other people who we can rely on. I do think Zardes is almost a lock to make the roster. I almost don't really see this as being that big of a deal either because I think we're going to only go with two strikers. So I don't think we need three good strikers to make the World Cup. I'd like to see Pepe there. I'd like to see him starting, but... If we only have two who can go and those two are PFOC and Zardes, I don't think it'll be the biggest issue in the world. Yeah, I think it could definitely play a role, though, in, you know, Greg's kind of talked about how, you know, he wants you getting minutes for your club. It is an individual situation, person by person. Um, but I mean, I think if you're just flat rocking that bench, it's going to be real hard. To, to call you up into the squad if you haven't gotten any minutes. Um, and I would say even in, in the Bosnia game, you you saw a not sharp Pepe. Uh, it, there's many things that you could attribute that to, but one of them could be the lack of time he's had playing in regular matches. So if, if it does cause his level to drop off a little bit, uh, it's it's a risk you got to take, though. It's, it, you know, all these guys, being, being a professional athlete, I would just imagine, like, you have to have 100% confidence in yourself all the time. So, you know, I think it would be it would I think it would speak a lot to if he were to say, "Eh, you know, I have a chance to go overseas right now, but I'm going to stay in MLS because I'm comfortable. I'll go through the World Cup and then transfer out that that's not the mindset I want from a number nine. I want a number nine that is cocky, arrogant, but still shares the ball. I mean, a little Ted. I forget the forwards name from Ted Lasso. Uh, but, you know, a little bit of that, not Danny Rojas. You basically want Matthew Hoppy and Ricardo Pepe to have a baby. And yes. <laughs> a baby be 24 years old in their prime. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> I can see it yeah. now. But I, I do I, think I, I want to see some of that. Yeah. I, I'd say probably some small upside to this is if Pepe comes to Wolfsburg, gets a few goals in his first few appearances. Wolfsburg is not a team that's so far off of the top you know, six talent. Uh, obviously, they're far away from Bayern. They're far, far away from Dortmund and Leipzig. But this team isn't super changed from the team that finished in the top four last year. Their coach has changed, yes. But if Pepe can come in and be the number nine to Wolfsburg and they can make this turnaround happen, there's not 
a ton of tweaks or changes that really need to happen to make Wolfsburg contenders for the top half of the table in the Bundesliga. Yeah, not wrong. So next transfer that we want to talk about is the rumors that Brendan Aronson is wanted by Leeds United in the Premier League. Tom, I'm going to let you kick us off here. How do you feel about Aronson's chances going to Leeds? I mean, I don't know if it'll happen or not. I'm sort of still skeptical about any Premier League transfer rumor for a U.S. player. I feel like most of them are complete bogus. But if it were to happen, Aronson is almost a perfect fit for Leeds' system. He sort of plays that high-press, high-work-rate, attacking-mid winger style that Bielsa really likes. He just seems to be able to run for days and be able to be a pest when he's just out of possession, and he's good in transition. So I, I see him being a great fit for Leeds' system, and I would you know buy that they're interested in looking at him. But we've seen so many Premier League rumors, and I've not been able to trust you know 75 to 80% of them, so I'm not sure what would make this one any different. I just feel like this one makes a little bit more sense uh, yeah. as you were referencing. Mm-hmm. How do you feel, Ryan? No, I'd agree. It makes sense. I would love to see him in the system. Kind of everything Tom said, I, I totally agree with it. Just some other interesting things to to look at or just to consider in this transfer, though, uh, as far as it affects MLS and things like that, is that if he stays with RB Salzburg through the season, it bumps his transfer free up to like $9 million, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and also, too, he Philly is still getting anywhere from 10 to 20% of their sell-on. So it, it's pretty significant if he does end up staying with Salzburg for the rest of the season. Salzburg also is, you know, in the knockout rounds for Champions League. So, you know, is this the right time for them to sell? Granted, they played Bayern. Uh, so it's a little bit of David versus Goliath in their in their first rounds. But, hey, you know, that's there's a reason they play the game. So it, it'll be interesting to see if, it, if RB Salzburg – just kind of says, hey, let's jump on this opportunity here in the middle of the winter, pull the trigger and sell on Aronson, or if they want to hang on to him to see how far they can kind of go. Uh, also, too, from what I've seen, I, don't, I just don't see, I would agree with Tom, like I don't see a lot of the, the rumors of Americans going to the Premier League until I see it from you know some more notable people. Yeah, I guess for this one, though, it's one of those where I feel good if it doesn't happen and I feel good if it does. Yeah, like, great point. That's that's the way I'm looking at this, especially as it's a Premier League rumor. You can't really take those at face value. But Salzburg is not the worst place in the world for our players mm-hmm. to develop. And nope. Leeds is kind of the next step in that system. Tom, you're referencing this to Brendan Aronson, that high press system. One thing that I would love to see in terms of Aronson going to Leeds is that if both players started, it would mean that Jack Harrison, who started his career in the college route and going to NYCFC, and Brendan Aronson coming through the Union Academy are now starting wingers for a, a good team in the Premier League. Although they're, yeah. they're a few places above relegation, I have confidence that they're not going to be in that fight come the end of the season. We could potentially have two MLS studs and, and standouts that come from that league be the starting wingers for a good Premier League team. Do you guys have anything else to say on this now no, that you've heard I, others talk about it? I do have one. I, I think this can apply to, to anybody we're talking about transferring winter or summer this coming year. Is it all still just kind of goes back to that? What about the World Cup conversation? Like, will they be informed? So do you think Aronson is ready to make that leap to the Premier League? Or is it a situation to where if he does transfer, could he be in a situation where he's riding the pine the whole time? Like, is is the next right step for him somewhere like Leeds? 
or maybe somewhere like Leipzig where he's, you know, a little bit more familiar. What do you, what do you guys think? I feel like for me, one, one perspective that I take on Aronson specifically in terms of his, you talked about it, confidence is every time that he goes to a new team or steps into a new lineup. And I think to myself, he's not good enough for this moment. He's not good enough at 17 to step into the union. He's not good enough at 18 or 19 to step into Salzburg. He's not good enough to displace one of our wingers from the U S men's national team. And still he just continues to do that. So I think we lost Tom for a moment, but I'm going to keep talking about Brendan Aronson. Every moment that Brendan Aronson has gotten to and gotten the chance to, he's he's gone and taken that moment by by the neck and he's done well for himself in those moments. So in terms of your question, I don't necessarily think Brendan Aronson is good enough for Leeds or to make an impact on the Premier League. But when I think about all of those other times that I've doubted him and his ability and he's proved me wrong, I actually do think in some way, if he goes to Leeds, if he goes to the Premier League, he will find a way to step that up and make an impact and, and be productive. I like it. What about well you, Sam? I, yeah, I think he's a player who sort of thrives under the pressure, thrives under adversity. And if he goes to Leeds, he'll find minutes, he'll find playing time, and I think he'll do well with it. I worry that he's, he's still a, a small guy who's not the most physical player in the pool. I worry that him going to the Premier League, he's just going to get, you know, bullied off the ball every single time he touches it. So I, I, that's my big concern is, is he strong enough? Is he ready physically for the Premier League? And that's going to take a while to develop. So beyond that, you know, I, I think that he would thrive under Bielsa specifically, and it would be a different situation than him going to anyone else in the rest of the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So you guys both kind of dodged it a little bit, though. If you had your pick, (laughs) do you want him to go to Leipzig or Leeds? I mean, Leipzig isn't necessarily in the same situation that they were, that I thought they would be. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of 50 50 for me. I would just pick Leeds and Premier League and the better league. And you know what? Again, he's stepped up in every moment, he's going to get used to the physicality and he'll find a starting spot just because of the intensity that he'll bring to kind of making it the the spot for himself. I like it. Tom, I am going to stay on you as we move to the George Bellow to Watford rumors. So currently, Claudio Ranieri is rumored to be looking at George Bellow. The Premier League winner with Leicester is wanting an MLS left back from Atlanta United. Tom, let's start with you. How would you feel about George Bellow going to Watford? It would be exciting. I... Once again, it's another one of these Premier League rumors, another one of these rumors where I'm not sure the player is ready for the move. Um, we know Bello can get forward and has done decently, especially in MLS getting forward. We know that he's also a strong 1v1 defender, but his positioning is just all over the place, and that's something you really can't have in the Premier League that's not going to be forgiven at all. So can his positioning be good enough to go to a side like Watford who is also struggling for relegation, it might be a good thing for him because he's going to have to defend a lot. But I don't know. I, I It's a big step up from the rest of the rumors surrounding Bellow. The most notable club I've seen looking at him is Galatasaray. So going to a Premier League side would be amazing. But again, can we trust this rumor? Is he ready for the move? Will he be able to be successful in a situation like this are all big questions right now. 
Yeah, so I would say I I don't think it would be exciting if he went to the Premier League, like at all. I, I think it would absolutely be one of the worst things that could happen for him because he's not ready. He's, in my opinion, he's not even close to ready. Um, like it's, don't, the potential is definitely there, but just right now, it, he is not ready. So I think this could be something that, for starters, I, I haven't seen much information about it that has any sort of credibility to it. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Crazier things have happened. Um, I, again, though, terrible for his development. I, I, if he gets loaned out, like it kind of has a little bit of Matt Miazga to Chelsea written all over it. That This guy will just end up getting loaned out year after year. Maybe after two or three years of being in a loan army, he, he could be ready. So it, if that kind of situation works out, I could see that being potentially his best avenue at Watford, but in my in my mind, there's not a chance that he walks into a starting lineup. They do have a junior Firpo there, who's a 25 year old left back, and again under contract till June of 2025, so he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, so he's, he'll have some stiff competition there, uh, but. I, I'd be so I'd be very surprised if this actually happens. And again, if it does, my hope is that he immediately gets loaned out. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is kind of the opposite of how I feel about Brendan Aronson. It's just <laughs> I've been lose. hearing about George Bellows, you know, his future ability for five years. It seems like he. How old mm-hmm. is he now? Eighteen, He's nineteen years old. Nineteen. 19. So since he was 15 in the Atlanta Academy and going pro, I've heard about how good he can be. And it's like every time I've watched him, you can see that it's there, but he just hasn't shown me in terms of actually being in game. So for me, where I think about Brendan Aronson, I don't really think he passes the eye test sometimes. And then you watch him and he just, he's there and he deserves to be there. Whereas George Bellow, I've just heard the talk for a long time about how good he can be. And I know he is MLS quality right now. And at 19, that deserves some credit. But yeah, in my mind, same thing as you, Ryan. He's just not ready. I don't see him as being ready for the Premier League. Even going to Watford, Ranieri is a great defensive coach. Watford would be defending a lot against the quality of teams that they'd be playing. But again, just for me, he would not be ready to move into a starting 11 or even be part of a, a cup team for Watford. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, I'll, I'll push back in that he's been a very quality MLS left back, even if he's not been good for the national team. So there's some evidence that he's played very well. And the times I've watched him for Atlanta, I've, he's not stood out as being poor. The problem is he's very inconsistent and you never mm-hmm. know what you're going to get from him two games in a row. He could, go out, have a goal and assist for Atlanta. He could also be at fault for a horrible goal. So sounds like a lot of our fullbacks. Yeah. Yeah. They're all sort of very inconsistent and it comes down to me for his positioning. I think if Watford gets relegated, which is a very strong possibility, it actually makes a lot of sense because I think he would do well with a year in the championship. But if Watford stays up, it could end up being a disaster of a move for him. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, are there any other transfers that we have been tracking with any new news? I think those are the three biggest that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, those are the, those are the only big, like the bigger ones that I've been tracking right now. Um, there was somebody that we could have ended was looking at going into Bruges, and I can't think of him right now. Um, Brian Reynolds, um, Shiza, yeah. 
This, yeah, Brian Lermel's on loan to, to Bruges. Uh, that's that's one that's got a little bit of heat out there. Uh, and I think it'd be pretty interesting. Could you imagine like a right side of Tejon, Tejon Buchanan and Reynolds? <laughs> if those two really like fully develop, man, that would be a really dangerous right-hand side. You've just triggered me with saying a Canadian player's name. I I can't take their Twitter fans anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it. They're so and annoying. They're, they're, they're definitely on one right now, but I'll tell you this much. If I hadn't had shit to celebrate for 30 years, I'd be popping off too. So, hey, you know, let, let a, it's, it's their 15 minutes. I'll tip the hat. Go ahead. You know, in my mind, I'm I'm just like, this is probably how Mexican fans felt about us, like getting <laughs> – Getting relatively good in the early 2000s. For sure. But without Twitter. So that was a, a credit to Mexican. True, does, does change it up a little bit. But yeah. Yes, but like, Brian I, I Reynolds. Think, yeah, <laughs> Brian Reynolds, Bruges. I think, you know, I would like to see, I think that's a good spot for him uh, so far. Haven't had a lot of luck with Americans at Bruges. Uh, see Oda Noasawi right now. Even though he did make a, he made a roster the other day, which was like the first time in a while for him to make a game day roster. So something's kind of in the works for Otisawe, but hopefully, you know, a little bit better results if Reynolds ends up going over there. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the meat of this episode, the paper plate awards. Tom, I'm going to let you take this away and just talk about what these mean, what the superlatives are and how we're going to do this. Sorry, I'm fighting with my dog here. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so this is sort of a fun activity I remember doing in high school where instead of doing like a big, you know, fancy award ceremony, you just give out superlatives or you've written people's name on a paper plate and sort of giving them fun awards that are, you know, not meant to be super serious, but can always be fun to sort of look back on the year. What was, you know, what happened? Give give out some fun superlatives, make everyone laugh a little bit. So we're going to give out some U.S. Men's National Team 2021 superlatives here. Give out some awards for playing like the most improved, stuff like that. So I'll let Jake take it away with all of the awards we've got for to distribute today. Awesome. So the first award up is going to be for the best celebration. So there's a few memorable ones that we're definitely going to talk through, but I'm not going to say anything. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Tom, what was your favorite celebration of the year? I think that you have to start with Pulisic shushing the crowd against Mexico in the Nations League final. It's the quintessential U.S. celebration. It literally got put on a poster. and You you can't help but love a celebration like that that is so iconic and in such a great moment. But there are other ones to talk about here, so we'll have to continue to see if Ryan's got any others. Well, I, well, definitely, I would agree with you for sure. For me, number one, and you know, hats off to whoever the photographer was that got that that iconic shot of everybody just jumping on his back, it, it, like just that. You could tell that, that was years of wanting to have that moment come to fruition in his eyes. Just that, you know what? Take it's it. Not to make too many American football references, but it almost takes me back to like the old Steve Young take the monkey off my back clip that people have seen a lot once he finally won a Super Bowl. It was like Pulisic had finally beaten Mexico. He had gotten that monkey off his back and he was just fired up. So, you know, great celebration. I definitely liked that one. Um, but I would also say uh, one with with a mix of one thing, another celebration that makes it really good is the man in the mirror celebration. Also Christian Pulisic. And I think what really adds the icing on the cake though, for that celebration 
is, again, we're handing out credit all over the place on this podcast today. Tip of the hat to whoever the DJ was in the stadium for that one, because immediately right at the end of the game, all you hear is, is man in the mirror. Like, to like that and have a little MJ to play at the end of a soccer game, I, I think was was well played and it made for a really special moment. Uh, you know, for us to beat Mexico in qualifying in a home game with a packed stadium that U.S. for once, like that's that's what U.S. soccer players dream of is scoring goals like that and especially having some like Guillermo chirp a little bit. The chirp back was was the best part. Yeah, um, there are a couple other good ones, but is there are there any specifically that come to mind for you, Jake? I, personally, for me, I think the best celebration is the shushing of the crowd against Mexico. But there are some notable ones that I do want to call out. Uh, one was the Anthony Robinson backflip against Honduras away. And then the other one that I really enjoyed just because of the pure comedy was in the Gold Cup final when Miles Robinson scored the header. He tried to take off his shirt to celebrate, but couldn't quite get it off. So he was just running like half, half shirt off, half shirt on while everyone was dogpiling him. So those were my two yeah, kind he, of, yeah. He doesn't do bench press, but he does a lot of abs. <laughs> Yeah, I like the Robinson flip. It was it's sort of a great moment where, you know, we've just equalized against Honduras. We'd not had a good first window. And, you know, we get that first goal and he just I don't think any of us knew he could actually do that. So seeing that it come out of nowhere was just fantastic. And, you know, a great moment that sort of in a sort of fun run that sparked a huge comeback. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's weird. To, it's weird to talk about celebrations and not even bring up McKinney's wand. Like it's such an original celebration, which I think is hard to come by sometimes in football these days. We've seen, you know, kind of everything. Um, so for him to really kind of create something of his own like that, uh, you know, he got to do it against Mexico. He, he kind of after everybody had mobbed him a little bit, you could see him pull his wand out. So, you know, those are, those are some good honorable mentions for sure. But I, I think what takes the cake is, is the Pulisic just giving the old one finger to the Mexico yeah. crowd. Guys, I, everyone listening, I just want to make it clear that McKinney had a fake wand. He didn't pull any other wands out for the celebration. All right, so those are celebrations. Let's talk about some of the best moments, best moments for you guys throughout the year. I just want to say as well, this objectively is the most winningest year of the U.S. men's national team in history. 17 victories all told, won two international tournaments over the summer beat Mexico 2-0 in World Cup qualifying. There's a lot of moments to choose from. What was your favorite moment of the last year? So for me, it's going to be the team on the platform after winning Nations League. Um, I think that that was a roster that I can personally say that I was more excited to see a lot of young names in that roster and finally kind of really getting their first chance to prove themselves. Uh, like one thing that sticks out very specifically to me is there's a picture of the confetti coming down and the boys with the, with the cup, but you can see the smile on Gio's face is actually what really stands out to me the most is like, you can just see these young men living the moment, having the time of their lives and, and we hadn't had that feeling in so long. You know, that was just the first one. Then we got Gold Cup. Then we had qualifying against, like, Mexico. So it was the, that first, that 
that first one in a long time. Uh, you know, I'll let you fill in your own metaphors. But when you when you haven't won in a while, and you finally get that one, it feels pretty good. <laughs> Tom, how about you? I'm gonna go like ten minutes earlier than that and go ahead and shout out Ethan Horvath's penalty save against Mexico in that game because I don't. I was sitting. Okay, so this was my internet was out at this point in New Mexico. I was. <laughs> I had no it was completely gone like we had zero and so I was in my office at 10 45 p.m on a Sunday night and I was on the phone with my family and that save happens and I'm like screaming and like going crazy in this sort of empty office building in my office on Sunday night on Sunday night I'm just sitting there like thinking about how amazing this moment is and how great it feels and being really glad that none of my colleagues are anywhere near the building <laughs> to hear me going crazy. And, you know, just think about how much that means to so many U.S. fans. I've talked to a bunch of American outlaws who, you know, were there and, you know, how much that moment meant to them. It just, you know, it was so great. It was such a relief to win that game and to see Ethan Horvath come up such a so huge and such a huge moment was, you know, something I don't think a lot of us are going to forget anytime soon. Yeah, definitely. I mean, def- definitely for me, it's got to be the first 60 minutes of the Bosnia and Herzegovina game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, so the best moment for me, I think, was Ricardo Pepe's coming out party. And if you think about what this moment meant to our World Cup qualifying chances, essentially he saved our World Cup qualifying chances. I know it was the first window, but we were about to take one point from our first three games we were about to lose in Honduras after a terrible first half. Pepe comes in, scores two, plays a part in the other two, and we we come out with a victory. That, to me, just solidifying his stance as the number nine. Sergeant coming down the pecking order. We might talk about him in another superlative coming up. But Ricardo Pepe, 18 years old, MLS homegrown, just solidifying his moment for the World Cup qualifying chances of the U.S. That, for me was the best moment. And that's that's just kind of top three. I think we hit on a lot of those there with Ethan Horvath save the the celebration, the man in the mirror. All of those can be up there as as top, top moments for this past year. Yeah. I mean yeah, even the Miles Robinson agree with Tom. Yeah, the Miles Robinson winner for me even is, you know, fantastic. I didn't expect that at all. I kept sort of waiting through that whole game for us to lose. And all of a sudden we put that one in. I'm like, oh, my God, we just did it twice. <laughs> like it, there's this is a year full of moments and you could just go for so many of them. And it was just fantastic year. I'm glad that we have so many to choose from. Brian, yeah, I think what really to... drives your point. No, no, we're good. Uh, I think what really drives Tom points, Tom's point home, though, uh, and I, and this is why I should have thought of the, the Horvath save. Cause that was the one moment of watching a USA game throughout all the games that I watched this year at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, the Horvath save, my exaltation from it woke up my wife. Uh, so, you know, I, I would say that that kind of drives it home that I was that kind of pumped that in a like 3000 square foot house, I can still wake my wife up from halfway across the the house. (laughs) I won't make any jokes about that. All right. So stock up, (laughs) stock up is the next superlative. This is going to be the most improved player, the player that, you know, really brought their stock up with the team. Someone that maybe wasn't known necessarily at the beginning of the year to becoming a solidified part of the starting 11 or, or top 23 for the U.S., who is the player that had the biggest stock up year 
for you guys. Tom, maybe we'll kick it off with you. I feel like you have to go to the center backs here and go to Miles Robinson, someone who wasn't even in the picture at the beginning of the year, had three call-ups, had maybe had like 20 total minutes, and then comes in to the Gold Cup squad and is lights out for the entire tournament, basically is the only center back on the roster by the end of the thing, and continues that form into World Cup qualifying and has been completely locked down for all of work of qualifying pretty much we've only conceded like three goals through the entire qualifying campaign so far he has been phenomenal all year long and just seeing his ascent so rapidly and displacing the number one center back in what we thought was john brooks to be sort of the locked on starter is fantastic so you got to give a shout out to him for as crazy of a year as he's had yeah i'm i'm gonna take the next one because it looks like ryan's having some connectivity issues as well I think Miles Robinson is probably, you know, if we're going by who I actually think is the player with the most stock up, I would pick Miles Robinson. But just to throw another name out there, I think Eunice Musa, essentially coming from someone that wasn't even committed to the U.S. and has now played his way into becoming part of the MMA midfield, the midfield that we all want to see, a midfield that would potentially displace Gio Reyna from starting in the 11. Eunice Musa is someone that essentially came from unknown, wasn't committed, 17 years old when he committed, 18 years old now, and is one of the top players for the U.S. He's one of my favorite players to watch and has been such an important part of our World Cup qualifying campaign. So I do think, you know, just based on merit and where they came from, Miles Robinson to me would probably win this. But just to throw another name out there, someone who deserves this recognition, Yunus Musa for me. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, no, I, I was actually going to go with Musa as well myself because uh, kind of like you're talking about, a lot of people weren't tracking that this was a potentially dual nat that was going to join the squad. And for me, it's it's the impact that he's made. I, I totally agree, Miles Robinson, huge impact, but it's the drop off to the next guy. You know, we we've seen what happens when we don't have MMA and with Geo out. Uh, I think the next if I think Miles Robinson is great, but I think if we lose a center defender, we we have some guys that can at least fill in admirably. Um, I, I just, so therefore at least stock up wise and impactfulness to the squad for, for me, it's, it's definitely Yunus Musa. Yeah. Any others that we need to shout out here? Stock up. Uh, I mean, Anthony I Robinson like- was, was kind of getting crapped on, uh, in the beginning, like when he had had a couple of bad outings for the U S uh, and I think, you know, coming out of 2021, he is at, at least in my opinion, nailed down, no questions asked, our left back. So to go from, you know, somebody that was one of our kind of more divisive players in debates like this uh, has really kind of solidified his spot. So big stock up for him, for me. Yeah, I, I would agree on him. I would also like to shout out our two backup wingers, Brendan Aronson and Tim Weah, where Way had been struggling with injuries, had not played a game in a calendar year. Brendan Aronson had just moved from MLS. And while he was great in MLS last year, had I don't think he'd ever had a national team appearance and all of a sudden has been amazing in his starts and has been one of the most valuable players of the year for the U.S. So sort of seeing those backups to Pulisic and Reyna being able to rely on backup wingers is fantastic. And Way has even got in the debate for a starting spot now with Gio Reyna potentially, you know, losing that spot again, the same way to Musa. Other players behind him have stepped up, which is just fantastic to see. So both of them definitely deserve a shout. Yeah, I think even when we're talking about, you know, the rumors of Brendan Aronson to Leeds and thinking that that's a realistic uh, journey for him, 
that's essentially within one year he's been sold from MLS. We didn't know if he would be a starter at Salzburg to now being connected to Premier League teams. So I do think that speaks to just how productive he's been with his time in uh, on the field this year. All right, let's go the other way to stock down. This player might have been a part of your starting 11 at the start of the year and maybe isn't a part of the 23 any longer. Ryan, maybe let's start with you. Who who has the worst year for the U.S. men's national team? So for me, I think it's, you know, the, the obvious pick is Josh Sargent here. Uh, he's He's just a player that can't seem to find any luck, can't seem to have that one goal that kind of gets his momentum going in the right direction. Uh, the one we probably thought it would be was the one he left short when the, with the empty net. Like that that really hurt. I think that could have been a good opportunity for him. Uh, and also, too, just a player that watching him come up through the youth system, he, the kid was so clinical in front of goal. Like I remember watching him when he was, he was what, 17, playing with the U-20s for the World Cup, and the dude couldn't miss. Like, it, 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 like he would have back to goal, and you could kind of tell he knew where he was on the field, knew where to turn. He was so comfortable and so confident. He was. It finally looked like we had that like true clinical finisher. Uh, so to see him be so far away from that player that we know he kind of can be uh, is is a bummer. It hurts. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I really, really do have a soft spot for Sergeant, and still young, can still turn it around. But for the year of 2021. Uh, I don't think anybody's stock has dropped more. Uh, the the only other one that I would throw in there is uh, is definitely John Brooks. He's he's a close second. Uh, we were talking about you know you, you have this conversation six months ago even, and it was like okay so we have John Brooks and we'll fill out the rest of the eleven almost. He was like our him and Pulisic were the two that were like yep they're in there. Who else? And and to see him not even be called in anymore and to to hear about that I don't, I personally don't think he's anywhere close to being back in a USMNT jersey anytime soon. And if you think about that, like, I don't, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but have we seen the last of John Brooks in a USMNT kit? We might've, there's not a 0% chance that that doesn't happen. And it's crazy too, because I remember he had an article, he, he did an interview towards the beginning of the year talking about getting into the U.S. men's national team more, getting back into World Cup qualifying. And he was saying how he wants to be potentially the captain of this group, that he wants to be the leader for the young core of the team and that he has the experience in the World Cup to do that. And for him to just completely fall off, like you were saying, to the point where he, he's not even making most people's World Cup qualifying rosters anymore. And he's he's not getting time with Wolfsburg. There's a lot of, you might call it slander. You might call it truth. We don't know what's coming out of these camps. Um, but there is not a lot of positivity surrounding John Brooks and his teams right now. But Tom, yeah, there's, who, who there's do you too think much, there's, there's too much smoke not to be fire at this point with John Brooks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Tom, what about you? Who do you think has the had the worst year? I'm gonna go Sebastian Legit. Legette is a player who's sort of one of Burhalter's guys who was a quality starter at the beginning of the year for Burhalter. He had a really good run of form in 2020. He was one of the leading goal scorers for us in 2020. And throughout 2021, he has slowly slid down everyone's board, putting in bad performance after bad performance, going from a progressive midfielder to a guy who can't do anything except recycle possession. And his drop-off has been to the point where 
he has been left off the last few World Cup qualifying match day rosters. So I we might have actually seen the sort of beginning of the end for Sebastian Legette as a player who was a leader for this young core, the same way as Brooks, and he just doesn't have it anymore. He can't make the cut, especially with the young midfielders coming up behind him. Yeah, I, I would argue that in the fans' mind, then the person with the most stock down is probably Sebastian Legette. We're all tired <laughs> of seeing him on the field. I don't know if he's had the worst year in terms of stock down with Greg Berhalter, and I don't think we've seen the last of him. But, Ryan, how do you feel about Sebastian Legette being the stock down? Uh, just the, the first thought that comes ahead is like your stock has to be up at some point for you to win the stock down award. Uh, and just for me personally, uh, sure. Great 22 or great, uh, 2020 where we played a bunch of games that didn't matter at all. A bunch of C, a bunch of like C squads, like cool. Uh, I'm sure Becky G is super happy for you, uh, but <laughs> I just don't see the USMNT fans want to see a little bit more from you in the games that matter. So, yeah, like I said, uh, I I just thought that, you know, originally bringing Legette into the conversation for stock down, just first thought that comes to mind is like, when was it up? Sure. But you made a good point. Sure. He did score a bunch of goals in 2020. I mean, for me, it's Josh Sargent. This was the future number nine for the next decade for us and the fall off has been insane he had a cup game for his club team in germany at the very beginning of the club season scored two goals had one assist i think and since then since transferring to norwich has been absolutely abysmal lost his starting spot first for the us men's national team then was played as a right winger because we tried to get him on the field then completely fell off the roster isn't currently starting for norwich in the last few games and I worry a lot for Josh Sargent's uh, you know, development at his age and just being stagnant this year can go a long way in stopping what could have been one of our best number nines that we've produced for the U.S. men's national team. John Brooks, in terms of how far he's fallen, I mean, it's kind of like 1A and 1B for Josh Sargent and, and John Brooks for how fall, how far they've fallen. From They were both locked-on starters for the U.S. men's national team. Now they're not in the 23 that most of us would call in. I still personally think John Brooks has a part to play and is one of the best 23 players for the U.S., but I don't think Greg does, and that says a lot about his value to the team. And when we look at stock up and stock down, I think that's what we're talking about is what value can you bring to the U.S. men's national team? And both of them bring very little value right now. I think there's an honorable mention to be had for Jackson Yule in this position too, as someone who wasn't any of our first choice, but was sort of seen as, you know, our emergency backup six at the beginning of this year. And now might be the most hated player in the entire men's national team pool by the end of the year. So I'm, like you did turn him, his name into a verb. Throughout <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Getting, the having a year so bad that being Jackson Yule means to be dropped completely and eliminated from the World Cup pool is a sign of a really bad year. He last year in MLS he looked decent. He could ping balls around MLS Cup the MLS's back tournament. He looked fantastic and like he could play a part for the U.S. as a midfielder. And since then he's progressively gotten so much worse to the point where he featured in the first Gold Cup game and then didn't 
see the field until the end of the tournament completely. He and Jonathan Lewis were dropped in the first game of the tournament, which is so hard to do. It, it does feel like something different that Jackson Ewell did in response to Sargent and John Brooks is Jackson Ewell is one player that legitimately played his way out of the team. <laughs> I, I think for Sargent and Brooks, it was more about club form. It was more about what was happening, maybe off the field or confidence. Jackson Ewell is someone that completely played themselves off of the team because of their poor performances for the U.S. All right, so speaking of some U.S. players in World Cup qualifying, let's talk about the best CONCACAFer. So this category is really the best shithouser, if you want to use that terminology, the player that best embodies CONCACAFing for the U.S. men's national team, guys. Ryan, who is the best CONCACAFer on the U.S. team? So I I, th- I feel like I know exactly where Tom and I are going to go on this one. I'm going to take, in my opinion, what the easy route is. Uh, and it's got to be Weston McKinney. It's got to be, uh, in my opinion. I mean, if, if individual moments, I think maybe is what we will talk about later. Uh, but he is always the first guy to get into a scrum. He's always, you know, he's been choked out like three different times by Mexico uh and yet he still is the first one to go in there and also too you know you can always see him kind of chatting it up with the refs and making friends with them he's his level of shithousery is is a level above everybody else on the team i think uh a lot of people can learn but i won't i won't steal toms but i think a close second a guy we talked about a lot and it's unfortunate that he hasn't been on the roster but i think john brooks was a good shithouser as well you know, big, intimidating center back to where when there were scrums and he comes strolling in, it's kind of like the, I forget who else it was, but the moment with Holland like two weeks ago in the corner, I forget who the defender was, but he gets down, he gets kind of tripped and goes into the corner flag, gets up, fired up, and he turns around and he sees it's Erling Holland and he's like, oh, and just sticks out his hand to like shake, literally <laughs> shakes hand, his right? hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, never mind. We're cool. <laughs> And I feel like that's kind of similar to the reaction that some players have when they see Brooks come towering in. Um, You know, him and Reyna both had the moment inside the box in, what was it, the Honduras match? Where they were both chirping it up a bit. So, you know, I I like to see that and and to do it in a savvy way of not getting a card, not doing anything silly. And I think, that's you know, that was kind of dumb of McKinney to pick up his his last yellow because he didn't need to be in there. Um, And then one small honorable mention – Zach Steffen running out of his box all the way to get into a scrum. Always great conca-gapping. You love to see it. But, Tom, take it away. I I got to go with Kellen Acosta, yeah. which I've been saying a lot more on this podcast of late than I think I expected to be. But Kellen Acosta had took it up a tier with his shithousing. He had the, he's the most improved conca-gapper by far. He, <laughs> that's, that's a great award. He definitely was the first into every single scrum along with McKenney. He was there in three different Mexico games, causing them all sorts of problems. He definitely was the best shithouser in the Gold Cup final. I it just, you know, he took it to another level, befriending the ref, being in the middle of those fights. I just you, you love to see it out of him. He was great in his World Cup qualifying games away too at this. So, you know, you love to see that, you know, McKenney's one of the goats for us for cocking calfing, but Acosta definitely provides that sort of when McKenney's not on the field, someone who's there to sort of cause problems and be a great conca caffer in the whole, in those trenches. And you don't really get a lot of it from some of the others. So great to see from him from another great year for Acosta. 
Yeah, yeah someone... I, think, I think one part we missed a little bit too in there was the the quote that leaked out or that he you know he talked about in an interview of what he said to Guardado before the PK. Like he walked oh, yeah. up to Guardado and told him like, "Everyone's gonna boo you. You are gonna <laughs> miss this. You are gonna yeah. let your team down." Like well, I just a... I, I, I've never been that creative in that moment. Like I, mm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not a good shit talker, but. To, to be thinking of that type of psychological game of like, this whole stadium is watching you. Everyone's going to watch you choke. To put that on someone right in a moment like that, like to be that savvy is is really impressive. Not just that. Th- that reminds me of another moment because he actually saved our gold, our gold cup too against Cotter because there was a penalty awarded in that mm-hmm. game that the guy missed. And he spends a good three minutes just like – getting that penalty delayed by just refusing to leave the box and starting fights and starting fights and getting the ref to talk to him and starting fights and just being a pest. And that penalty ends up going over the bar because the guy had to just sit there and think about it while Acosta just conca caffed and browned him for a solid three minutes. And Cotter just sort of took the bait over and over and over again. It was a great moment and, you know, save that gold cup run. <laughs> I will give honorable mentions to two players. One is Matthew Hoppy. I think if he had gotten more game time, yeah, he would have been a bigger part of this list. We haven't seen the best of Matthew Hoppy's thing, <laughs> and I hope that we do in the coming years. He he has a lot of potential in this arena. Um, the other one, again, is a player that we didn't necessarily see a ton of because of injuries, but Gio Reyna. I think mm-hmm. at his best is one of the best shithousers on this team. He kind of reminds me of like uh, a really annoying Yorkie, like a small <laughs> dog that doesn't understand how small they are <laughs> and how loud they are. And like, he doesn't really care about everyone around him. He he takes, he, he has no regard for what he's saying or what his actions are. He just wants to be a part of the fight and part of the annoyingness to the other team. And I have to respect that for Gio Reyna. All right, the next category is the drippiest player. So for anyone uh, that's like me and is over 30 years old and needs help knowing what this what this means is basically best fashion or your player with the coolest player, can we say? Yeah. Drippiest player? Sure. Okay. Tom, Just the, Tom the our, uh, style. Yeah, Tom's our young consultant, our age <laughs> consultant. Well, you're asking the wrong person for this. <laughs> I don't know. I would say your drip today is right. Both of you guys. His is on drip. point. Yeah. Shout out to my sister for a great Christmas gift here of the Giassi Zardes t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure our fans love that. Uh, Tom, Tom, who is the drippiest player on the U.S. men's national team? I feel like I've got a joke one and a real one here. I, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Tim Weah, who just is consistently the most stylish player on the team. In interviews with his fashion coming into camp, you know, he, he's just always on point and even criticizes Burhalter's style for just never living up to his own. So you got to love a player with that much confidence in their own style. I'm going to give an honorable mention, sort of as a joke to Serginho Dest, uh, for the one specific outfit sort of takes this over the top. Lionel Messi's departure. Know. Yeah, Lionel Messi's departure from Barcelona, a huge monumental moment. And Serginho Dest shows up in a full Chicago Bulls outfit, shorts, jersey, no undershirt, anything, which is just fantastic. I'm convinced he lost a really bad bet. <laughs> because also, if you notice, I want everyone to go back and watch this or see, look at this picture. It wasn't even a Chicago Bulls jersey. It was like a, a bootleg 
Bulls <laughs> outfit. Is it really? I don't understand. Yes. It's just like everything about it is the weirdest thing I've ever seen at Messi's goodbye. Yeah. Like yeah. people are in yeah. full regalia for this. Yeah, there were, three classes of, there, there were three classes of players at that. There were all the players who knew him forever and were in suits, and it was a very somber occasion. All the younger guys dressed in their nice, you know, fashionable clothes, and then Dest, who was sort of in a like, camp of his own with just a complete question mark of an outfit fit. It really defined his year. Yeah. Brian, how about so, you? Well, you definitely, for me, the award definitely goes to. Uh, Timothy Weah. Again, you just follow him. The dude just oozes fashion. But I think there's a lot of really, really close, like even 1B and 1Cs. Um, I do want to say as far as shoe game goes, Chris Richards is up there, man. If you follow him, he's always checking in with like Mark McKenzie uh, and a couple of old guys that he played out with Byron. And it's always just shoe picks. Everybody's got to check Bird in. Where does Halter rank on your shoe game? Is he 1C? Uh, so I'm so, no 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 no. Uh, I'm saying with most drip, absolutely not. No, the fact that a 50 year old white guy that's balding—I'm speaking about myself in a couple of years, not talking shit—thinks uh, that that's what's going to get him like points in the locker room is like, hey, but I got cool shoes. I have shitty tactics, but check out these Yeezys. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. Um, but no, other close. And Tom, I'm really surprised that you didn't bring up. Kellen Acosta. Kellen Acosta has a heck of a wardrobe. Uh, the, I mean, the dude does like photo shoots, I feel like once a month. Uh, a player that we don't talk about often, but he's going to make his, his appearance twice on this podcast. And he hasn't really been in with the USMNT, so we probably aren't thinking about him. But Oda Nobusawi is legitimately a model. Like, that's a side job of his. Fair. Um, so, I mean, hard not to, to bring him in there. But... Uh, again, I think it, we could almost have a separate category of best shoe game, and I would love to see Richards and McKenzie and probably Wea. The three of them probably – I mean, I know for sure. Yeah. Like I've seen Chris's out here. It's He has a full closet, and he still has a full closet back home in Alabama. So like, he only has half his – like not, probably not even half his shoes here. It's insane what these guys spend their money on. I, I would give an honorable mention as well to Gianluca Busio. Uh, especially for his pictures they maybe they're like qualified from the Venezia team, but him just with like really hip round sunglasses, a cup of espresso on like a riverfront in, in Venice is like one of the best pictures of the year. Um, if we did have a cringy award, I would have to give it to the moment when Greg Berhalter is giving out the end game awards or giving like an, end game talk and he says we went sicko mode on him right christian yeah and looks like <laughs> that one was talk about like a 50 year old that's out of touch with today's the look on christian's face too and he's like, so he's like yeah sure dad i thought that was gonna get him fired i thought christian pulisic was gonna march right up to to ernie's desk and <laughs> tell him to get rid of him all right. Uh, so we went through Drippius. Let's talk about the best dual national that is developed outside of the U.S. So this is basically players that started their youth uh, teams, went through academies outside of the U.S. Uh, Tom, maybe let's start with you. Yeah, I, I think that this year you have to go Yunus Musa, right? Just phenomenal player who had best, pretty much the best year you can have for a dual nat. 
coming in, going from completely off the radar to being a locked-in starter. There are other great names. I'm sure we have a bunch to talk about here, but, you know, he's just been so fantastic this year. Every time he plays, it just is a revelation, and I just can't wait to see what his career has in store. Yeah. Ryan, do you agree? Uh, I do, but I'll look at it from just a different angle, just, you know, for the for the thought process. For the lulls. Just to kind of see, yeah, just to see what, you know, how the conversation goes. How's Best Dual National developed outside the U.S.? Because depending on if you want to say he was fully developed outside the U.S., but Christian Pulisic. I mean, spent time yeah. in England when he was a kid, moved over to Dortmund when he was 15 and a half, had a Croatian passport, by definition, dual national. best dual nat outside the United States. Uh, yeah. For me, Christian Pulisic, again, just, just to play contrarian a bit. Um, you know, Serginho, I think, had a huge impact this year as well. Uh, I forget, gosh dang it, who uh, was it? Did he score against Jamaica? What was, was, the, Costa, Rica. was the banger against? Costa, Costa, Rica. Rica. Costa Rica. That goal. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, that's Left a goal foot. we'll be talking about 10 years from now for sure. Um, so when you can have moments like that, I think it's pretty impressive. Uh, as long as we can have a dialed in Serginho Dest, then, you know, that has to prove himself. I think that's the best Serginho Dest that we can get. And right now, given his position at Barcelona, that he's got to earn it. I think we're going to see, you know, one of the sharper Serginho Dest that we've seen in a while. Yeah, I, I think honorable mention as well as Anthony Robinson being developed in the Everton Academy. Now Fulham played a huge part in the U.S. for this team. All right, guys, last paper plate award for the ceremony is going to the best MLS grown player. So the player that started their career in MLS and has now become a critical part of the U.S. men's national team. Ryan, who is the best MLS grown player for you? I mean, we might as well just change the name of the podcast to the Brendan Aronson podcast. Uh, you know, he's he's just been he's just had a heck of a year. He, he's really grown in my eyes leaps and bounds this year. He, he's put on a little bit more weight. He seems like he can, you know, handle playing with the big boys. And that was a concern of mine coming abroad. Uh, he's in the right league to do it right now. He'll still have to show that at the next level. Um, but I mean, like you said, in, in a matter of a, a year, 18 months, he's gone from Philly to Salzburg to being at least mentioned in the names of Premier League teams. So it's, I, I think it was, he stays on the trajectory that he's on. Maybe not moving to Premier League yet, but he'll end up there for sure. Um, I think if, you know, Don Garber's got to be pointing to him as the model of we want every player through MLS to, to end up like this. So for me, it's him. And personally, I really don't even think it's close. I, do you guys have better options? I mean, I would throw Tyler Adams out there. Started Shit, at true. New York Red Bulls. Yeah. Went to. I mean, now we're just talking about players that went through the Red Bull development system essentially and Tyler Adams is at the end of that at Leipzig and plays I mean for me he's the captain of the U.S. men's national team that's who I want to see wear the armband so I, I do think in terms of this year who has been the person with the most progress from MLS who has made the leap the most it's it's going to be Brendan Aronson but if I'm thinking about best player that was grown in the MLS I'm giving it to Tyler Adams yeah yeah and I think no you're actually right it's a better call yeah, I mean, Adams for sure. If you're talking about best year, I think that you have to go with Aronson as just having a fantastic year. Another player who's had a fantastic year coming from MLS, going from not in the conversation to probably one of our best midfielders is Gianluca Busio, who, you know, had a fantastic year to start this year at MLS and has now played, what, the second most minutes of any American in a top five league this year. 
Mimi's been fantastic. He's held Venezia to where they are on the table. I don't think any of us expected him to have as easy of a transition to Europe as he's had and to grow as much as he has had has done in Europe. So, you know, seeing him grow like that is another fantastic player. And we could be talking about him again for this next year as someone who just continues to grow leaps and bounds in Serie A. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. So that was it for our paper plate awards. We've talked about some of the biggest transfers coming up in the January window. This is going to be our last episode of 2021. It's been a wild ride with the U.S. men's national team this year. So before we leave off, just we want to do some last words for this last podcast. We'll be back next week, but it will be a new year. So, Ryan, what's your last word for 2021? Uh, just thank you. Really just, you know, it's it's been inc- things that I did not think would happen in 2021 would be that I would end up meeting these two awesome guys and being able to, you know, jump on a podcast and do this on a weekly basis with you guys. It's it, so not, not only just thank you to our fans, but thank you to you, Jake. Thank you to you, Tom, for you guys, you know, really being willing to open your doors and welcome me in. And it's just been such an awesome experience. And I to see the little bit of growth that we've had, it makes me really excited for 2022 going into a world cup year to where, you know, we hopefully we can engage with a lot of people and talk a bunch of us soccer and, you know, get more people involved and, you know, hopefully introduce new people to the game. It's, it's something that obviously if you're listening to this or obviously one of us talking about it, like you clearly love this game. Uh, so, you know, just to, to have an opportunity to bring more people to it, I think will be really exciting in 2022 um, and besides that, you know, hopefully just COVID go away. I'm tired of it. I, I have full on COVID fatigue. I can't do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and really besides that, just, you know, uh, a simple uh, to, to everybody there. You know, I, I hope you guys all have a good new year. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Tom? I'll echo Ryan's point. You know, I never expected this podcast to, you know, happen and then, you know, be as successful and amazing as it has been. I'm so grateful to both of you guys for being willing to do this. And, you know, I don't have the least stressful life ever. So being able to sort of jump on every single week and escape into U.S. soccer world is a really nice thing and has helped me stay sane through the craziness of graduate school. So it's awesome to see it grow. And, you know, we couldn't have picked a better year to do it. It's been a fantastic year for the U.S. We've had so many great moments to talk about and it was just evidenced by how you know long we've gone on this podcast today talking reliving such a good year so 2022 has a potential to be an even better year there's a lot of exciting stuff in store i i can't wait to see where it goes both for the u.s men's national team and you know i'm excited about career stuff that's coming down the pipeline this year too so you know just can't wait to get a new year started putting the closing the books on what was unexpectedly a really great year yeah, I think outside of COVID, we can take a lot of positive things from this past year. And for me, I can't believe how perfectly things aligned with this podcast, with the channel, everything. I mean, none of us knew each other. We still haven't met each other in person. We'll need to do that once once all of this is over. Um, and maybe we'll get into the backstory at some other point. But um, just the way that this has come together, being able to talk U.S. men's national team with you guys on a week to week basis. Manny, Ellie, everyone else that helps us in Discord as well. Just a huge thank you to, to all of those people. And to you guys as well, we just looked at the, the charts for podcasts. We, we are about 25 weeks in 
we're just behind the Cooligans. We're top 65 soccer podcasts in the world right now. So just thank you so much. Thank you for continuing to listen to us, to subscribing to us, to downloading our episodes and listening and engaging with us each week. And with that, I want to wish everyone a very happy new year. There are some amazing things to come in 2022. It's a World Cup year in a few days that we'll be in. And that is going to mean so much for the U.S. Men's National Team in the next 365 days. So thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Have a very happy new year. And we will see you next week on Yanks Go Talking.